Welcome to Let's Get to Work, a podcast with stories of hope and inspiration for people experiencing blindness and vision loss, as well as those wanting to support us. Brought to you by the Employment Committee of the American Council of the Blind, a place where we talk about all things employment, finding jobs, holding jobs, building careers, and challenging stigmas. Each month will consist of two visually impaired people who have chosen to travel down unique career paths. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's get to work. Welcome, Harry, and welcome to our Let's Get to Work podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here with us today, and we would like to speak with you about your career and what you've done and how you arrived where you have where you are today. I see from your profile that you have spent much of your career in the legal and political arena. And maybe just to begin, I'd like to to go back to your childhood for a moment, because I know you were not you were not born in this country. Um, can you talk about a little bit where and how you came here and how you became interested in the political arena? Because I believe that was began when you were young. Thank you, Rosanna, uh, for this opportunity. It's a pleasure to be here and to speak to you and uh, to the uh, people. Um, this is uh, important in a sense that um, uh, we all have stories. Uh, we all come from somewhere, have something and uh, something to contribute to the society because we learn from our past and from the place and things we have seen, experienced. Um, I was born and raised in India. I uh, came here as a young boy, uh, about age 15. I uh, lost my sight when I was 10 years old. Uh, was I lost accidentally, got poked in my eyes, and that detached my retina, so I have a retinal detachment. Um, when I came here, um, I got into school, uh, just like any other kid, um, had... Um, uh, interest in various uh, fields. Uh, but what caught my attention was that uh, I was involved in a student government in high school. And what really started uh, that process was that when I saw that the students uh, uh, calling their uh, state, uh, the county, for the services or programs that they needed, um, you know, for instance, uh, in those days, we didn't have much of uh, in the way of uh, computers uh, and uh, technology, but whatever tools we needed, we would call the, you know, these teachers, uh, state, a county, they had some programs. And often we had to speak to the right people or try to make them understand, uh, including in high school. And that led to my desire to voice my views, my needs, express my thoughts, uh, what I need, what I don't. I do not recall exactly what inspired me, but I do know that the people and uh, my friends, they did give me some sense of uh, that I do need to speak up for my rights, what I need, and I do need to focus what I need to achieve in my life. So that's um, how I started my childhood 
And eventually, when I got in college, I got involved more into politics. And as you know, that often law and politics, they go hand in hand uh, because um, your political perspective and influence uh, that determines the uh, legal outcome and sometimes the other way around. So I knew that it's a subject that I tend to understand. Uh, it's also the subject that I think that I could work with. And I decided, therefore, to be part of it, uh, both academically and professionally. And that's how my uh, journey began in that particular field. Harry, you went to Stony Brook and LaGuardia? Is that where you went to school? Yes. So, so right after the high school, um, I um, remember my teacher saying to me, um, uh, one step at a time and you'll reach uh, the mountain. And I'm a very grateful for my uh, teacher for that particular statement because uh, that really uh, made a difference. Just like any other kid, uh, you know, I wanted to go big, well-known colleges uh, but I had to then look at the reality, you know, the financial burden, um, having come from a working class family, it wasn't feasible to try for uh, expensive universities, even if I had uh, tried to uh, get the scholarship. Uh, so I started LaGuardia College. Um, it's a community college. And believe me, sometimes that's the that sets the strong foundation, because in community college, you're able to focus uh, on your academic in a way that you cannot do in large universities. And I'm grateful for that because I was able to speak to my professors and others and uh, fellow students uh, because it's a small community and not too small, uh, not to uh, miss all the nuances of social and cultural experiences. So that's where I started. And that's where I actually started my political, um, I, if you want to call it career or political experiences uh, in public life. And then from there, you went on to Stony Brook? Yes. Uh, then mm -hmm. I went to Stony Brook, uh, where um, I um, continue my uh, advocacy. Uh, and if I recall, I was the first blind uh, student senator in the history of Stony Brook. Um, in those days, uh, the, I was never told that if there was any other blind person ever uh, ran for a student senator and have gotten elected. So um, I, till this day, I believe uh, I was the only and the first blind student senator in the history of a Stony Brook University. That must have been a, an interesting challenge, both for you and for Stony Brook. So uh, especially the, you know, the ADA was just coming out at that point, they, you know, a lot of things were not in place. Um, did you find a lot of challenges that came your way when you were yes. uh, doing your master's? I, yes, it was a challenging, but at the same time, it was also uh, energizing because you knew that what you need, you uh, knew that what you have to do, and you also knew that you need uh, people uh, with you. So, you know, once you are clear about your uh, goals, your mission, and once, uh, first, you know, let me um, go back a little bit. The, everything starts with the attitude. When I lost my eyesight, um, 
before when I could see, um, I used to draw uh, pictures, portrait, uh, painting. And when I lost my eyesight, my concern was that how could I express myself? Uh, not so much as that I lost my eyesight, but rather how could I express the way I used to express myself by portraying, by drawing pictures and painting. So I found my ways in writing and other uh, ways to express my thoughts and feelings. So it's the attitude that you have to keep in mind before you do anything else in your life. Um, uh, you have to um, uh, have that attitude that gives you that strength, that the uh, the stamina, that you have to make a difference, however small that might be. So um, challenging was uh, in a way that the AD was kind of a brand new. Uh, many people either did not know exactly how to implement uh, those laws in uh, practice or um, they were just learning um, in terms of that whether they really have to comply or not. So there were a lot of learning uh, or rather uh, the um, uh, ups and downs of uh, both legal and uh, social uh, perspective that went into that. Um, but, you know, I never gave up. That's the one thing, the optimism uh, and the uh, the hope that someday uh, you'll achieve something uh, that always kept me going for it. Um, and one uh, way in which I I believe was able to combat those issues, whether it was uh, uh, ADA compliance or whether uh, trying to uh, partake uh, in a society where people usually didn't think that a blind person should be part of it, is that, you know, my thing was that I have to at least try for it. Anything in life um, that uh, if you don't try, you will know if you have achieved, you, you, you know, you were to achieve that goal or not. You have no way of knowing that. But the, the attitude going back to that focus should be that you should try for it, you know, and if you cannot try for it, then whether you succeed or fail, you would never know. So that's the path I took. That's the way I approach my life where I said, you know, if something is uh, good, something where I could make a difference is something where I think I have the ability uh, or something where I could strengthen my weaknesses, I'm going to try for it. Whether I achieve, whether I fail, um, it does not matter because, oh, it does matter in some sense, but at least I won't have regret that I haven't tried for it. So that's the way I sort of uh, cope with those issues. And of course, you have to be mindful of your uh, personal and uh, social life. Uh, you have to be always mindful that how you interact with people, how you approach, how you answer their questions. And you don't always have answers, but you do your best and stay focused on your uh, path. And that's the only way I could understand um, that I was able to uh, move forward uh, in my uh, academic life and uh, professional life. Well, moving on to your professional life, once you graduated and moved on to the next stage, what was the first, where was the first place that you landed in terms of employment? Um, of course, we all have probably done those high school jobs, you know, and I did that too. So technically, I mean, I did work um, in Elmas Hospital, you know, as a uh, mailroom clerk, but 
uh, my real job, you could say, uh, was uh, with the um, social services office in uh, Nassau County, um, and then following that, the law firm, uh, and that that's where I I start my work. And um, of course, you know, uh, when you start with any job, there are always uh, uh, issues that you don't anticipate. Um, but hindsight, I think, um, you know, they were quite insightful. For instance, um, uh, when you're only the blind person in your job, um, it's often your job to communicate how you work. Um, and how things can be resolved if there's any difficulty. So uh, that was my first job, uh, you know, at the uh, social services office. And where did you, you traveled from there to other legal uh, jobs in the legal field as well? And um, what roles did you play in the various different jobs that you had up to where you are today? And I know that the job that you're at today in Homeland Security is probably very different from the jobs you've had in the past. So I mean, just maybe take a minute to tell us about the roles that you have played in the past jobs, and then we will move on to what you're doing today with the government. First, I was um, as a uh, research intern and policy analyst um, uh, within the same place. Um, and of course, you know, as a researcher and a policy analyst, my job was to um, research, review, analyze uh, the policies, uh, most of them related to civil rights issues, uh, including uh, the uh, ADA, uh, Rehabilitation Act, and uh, Housing Act. Uh, the Fair Housing Act, um, and uh, uh, try to uh, assist uh, the residents of the county, um, which also uh, led my involvement uh, with the legislative affairs uh, of a various uh, uh, political um, and uh, nonprofit organizations. Uh, uh, th- then after that, you know, I went and worked for a law firm where I was uh, a litigation paralegal, um, and uh, uh, much of my job was dealing with the litigation, basically, that is trial, um, uh, reading briefs, um, analyzing them, um, and dealing with the court system, uh, from judges to court clerks to clients. Um, And the interesting thing is that in all of it, uh, my blindness never was the issue because uh, there was always way to adapt and accommodate uh, my uh, visual impairment in a way that it did not interfere with my work. Uh, in fact, I would often end up uh, uh, doing far better uh, work in certain areas that uh, sighted people uh, would have a difficulty. Um, and then the uh, of course you know i after that um i briefly work as a compliance specialist again uh, similar to policy analyst except that in this case i ensure that uh, section 508 um 
compliance, uh, which is the the federal law. Um, and I tested the products and softwares and documents to ensure that they are in compliance with the Section 508 of the Rehabilitation Act. And eventually, um, I that's my current job. I end up with the Homeland Security, um, which is absolutely different because we deal with immigrants uh, and immigration law. Uh, in this case, uh, you're talking about the law, customer service, uh, reading and writing, federal system, the, the policies, the procedures, the methodology, and the technology, they all come together. So in some respect, all of my jobs were similar because they both have a legal and a political component and by extension, a social component uh, that uh, made a difference for me and for the people. So like in my current job, I'm the first blind person in that department, as far as I know. And how did you address the blindness issue with your employer? That um, uh, Thanks for that particular question, because that's very crucial. As you know, that even though most blind people do uh, try their best to get good education, skills, and all that, but that does not always translate into uh, good jobs and uh, um, better uh, income. And and I understood that, you know, being blind myself and having gone through that experience, um, one of the things I tried uh, from the get-go is to let people know, to inform them, you know, what you need, how you need, why you need, and um, how that can be accomplished without even having people to learn about it in a way that would uh, take their time away or extra effort on their part. So f- to do that, I had to educate myself on whether it's a technology, whether it's a policy, whether it's a law, whether it's uh, something else, you know, even social interactions. Uh, for instance, when I was in working in NASA County, um, I actually uh, uh, drafted, uh, I wrote um, the, uh, you could say, a publication uh, for the county that was entitled, if I recall it still, uh, Disability Etiquettes. And the goal of that particular publication was to inform uh, non-disabled individuals um, how to interact with the people with disabilities. Because so often people, when they see a person with disability, uh, they don't know how to interact, how to communicate, because for them, you know, we are different. That's unfortunate reality. And, you know, instead of getting mad and feeling sad, I decided that I'm going to inform people, let them know, show them that I'm no different than anyone else, except that, you know, I, uh, the way I have to do because of my visual impairment is slightly different way. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm riding the same train as they are, so to speak. So, you know, I, the first thing I did, I made sure that I know what rights I have, uh, what my abilities are, you know, what I could do, what I can't, and what kind of place I'm going in, you know, what kind of job place it is. And of course, you always want to apply um, in a place and uh, with the qualification that you know that you have and you are able to do that and you are comfortable with it. So those are a few key elements that um, I use uh, each time that I started with uh, these different 
organizations and um, job uh, portfolios. Did you disclose your blindness at the time that you did your application? Yeah, with a federal, you could do that. Uh, that's true. They have, yes. Yeah, in a federal, they have a section called sec, uh, Schedule A that specifically targeted uh, people with disabilities. But even if you don't, uh, in a federal, you could do that um, before you start your um, uh, join your duty, or your job. Uh, the operation support specialist, that's the department usually handles administrative issues. Um, you could let them know that you have a disability and you need a reasonable accommodation. And based on your disability, you could request what you need. Um, and one of the ways you could do that, uh, of course, you know, few things from your job description, what you'll be doing. So you have pretty good idea, you know, exactly what kind of is instrument or technology you need. But if in the event that uh, you came across something that you did not anticipate or didn't realize um, uh, whether, um, you know, something the new that they have started uh, did not exist before uh, you apply for a job or something that existed, but either they failed to mention or you have missed that. It doesn't matter. But the point is that once you start with them, um, you talk to the appropriate uh, individuals, uh, starting from your supervisor to uh, the higher ups if need be. Uh, but the starting point is your supervisor and the human resources. They're the people who provide uh, the all the tools and services uh, for you. And, you know, once you and you have to explain to them in a very layman terms, you um, you may know uh, far more than some of these people, uh, but but you cannot um, tell them or explain to them in uh, very uh, specific language. You have to uh, simplify not only to uh, make them understand, uh, but also to reduce the confusion and uh, uh, delay the process of getting reasonable accommodation. So that's what I did uh, when I got to my job. So, for instance, in um, when I was working in law firm, uh, the software they they were using, uh, which most uh, legal practitioners use, uh, there were a couple of areas in the software where my screen reader program, because as a blind person, that's what I we use. Uh, wasn't reading it very well. So I got in touch with the uh, the manufacturer of a screen reader program, asked them whether it's something they could do about it. But at the same time, I also got in touch with um, the manufacturers, the software developers of that particular uh, software that my firm was using. And I spoke to my supervisor. Um, you have to make find a time. Uh, you have to uh, to communicate your issues and um, at the end of the month, uh, that particular issue was resolved. Sometimes it doesn't happen in a month um, because sometimes it also depends the the kind of management you're facing. So you have to be prepared for that. But the important thing to remember is that you don't panic, you don't um, become angry, or you don't show any kind of uh, frustration in a way where it diminishes your ability to think clearly and accomplish your goal. So you got to stay calm. You've gotten that far, you could get further, but sometimes it's a struggle, but you could do it. So that's the focus you have to keep in mind. Harry, can you hear me? Yes, I could. Hi, this is Peter. And I have Hi, a, Peter. Um, 
a sort of a follow-up question. You've sure. sort of uh, spoken in sort of general terms about how you did certain things. I'd like you to share a couple of experiences more specifically. So you, you get this job and you have some problems. Some things work, some things don't work. Can you talk of a couple of specific examples of some of the issues you experienced and how you addressed them? Yes. Um, I'll, in fact, mention about my current job because that's the most recent one. Um, and that not only illustrates um, that even in today's uh, world where the technology is moving so fast and we expect, you know, everything to be, uh, it's been over 30 years since the ADA passage. And uh, we have gone through several amendments of uh, Section 508 that's specific to technology, meaning that technology should be compliance and should follow certain uh, protocols when they're uh, coded, when their functionality, interoperability, their usability. So in my current office, we use a particular software. It's for the uh, immigration um, cases. Um, it's uh, called NAS, uh, National Appointment uh, uh, System, Scheduling System. And when they updated that system, the major issue was that uh, when I was tabbing through or erring down to the uh, links that I need to interact with, they weren't reading to me. And I had a most up-to-date software for my screen reader program. And I had my computer that has the most up-to-date software. Everything was up-to-date except this particular software, which is which is web-based, wasn't reading. My screen reader would not read. And if I couldn't read that, uh, then I wouldn't be able to edit the content. On top of that, they didn't have any instruction in accessible format. They had a video where it demonstrates uh, visually, but not in audible fashion. And now the issue was that from the legal point of view, Peter, um, you know, I could simply just walk into my supervisor's office and I say, listen, um, you're not even compliant with the 2018 section 508. You're just compliant in 1998, which is decade uh, old. Uh, but Put that aside, even just the basic things that developers should know, that they should have proper tagging for those links and things like that. Now, my supervisor, she uses that program, but she's not technically savvy to the point that, you know, uh, she would know kind of things that I know. And in my case, of course, Peter, as a blind person, we tend to learn these things because they arose from necessity uh, so I tried to explain to her why these things were important, why I'm making an uh, issue out of it. And once I made her understood in simple terms, uh, she then spoke and wrote a letter uh, because in federal job, your supervisor has to initiate any request uh, to the IT and other folks. Then they got in touch with me. And this is where I said, Peter, the frustration cannot get to you because um, in a federal system, even just mere update of the software takes a couple of months, even though uh, it should take just less than you know half an hour because they have to go through verification review process. Um, and you could only update whatever they provide you, not externally. So I spoke to the IT people. I explained to the, uh, I wrote uh, an email uh, to the IT head uh, where I see the issue um, that is interfering with my job, 
I'm unable to do my job. And then you have to phrase, I had to phrase in a way because if I phrase it wrong way, they would think that I'm not able to do my job, which would be incorrect, no matter how you look at. But you have to understand these people have never dealt with any blind person before. So I had to keep that in mind. So I have to choose my language carefully when I wrote that email and when I tried to explain to my supervisor that I perfectly understand the software. I know what I have to do. I know where I have to go. I know, you know, how to edit and uh, manipulate that particular software and the system. But the problem is that I can see visually. Therefore, the software has to be able to speak to me or my system has to speak out loud. And of course, my supervisor said that, why isn't it reading then? Isn't that, you know, designed for the blind people? And I said, yes. But then I had to explain to her that how a screen reader program works. So it's not a magic, you know, where this software is installed. All of a sudden, whatever you throw at the screen or on the web page, it'll read to me. Then I had to explain to her that the link you see on the web page, there's a text, you know, plain text written, um, you know, within the code that has to be inserted for my screen reader program to be able to read it because that's what my screen reader looks for it. So then the analogy sort of I gave her that imagine, you know, you're just walking down the street, but you don't have any house number. You wouldn't be, unless you uh, know exactly how many feet you have to walk and, um, you know, turn, then uh, you wouldn't know if the houses have no numbers. So, but once they have, you put the numbers, your eyes will follow that. And, you know, once you see number two, three, ten, you know, you'll be able to detect. So it's a similar fashion, you know, the screen reader program works. So it was a little bit of work, Peter, you know, to explain that. And they finally resolved some of those issues. and. The result was that I end up writing a manual for that particular software, and I end up training my coworkers. And here I was, the guy two months earlier that they were training me on the same stuff. Two months later, I was the one who was training those people that how to manipulate those softwares because when they did the update, I knew exactly how to manipulate that system, and I uh, end up even writing step by step uh, manual for it. So you know. Certain things are doable, achievable. Uh, you just have to have a patient and you have to know your stuff, but also at the same time be able to express it in a way that you think that people can understand. I think that was very well put, Harry. Um, I, we Thanks. are running out of time, but okay. I do have one last question for you. And um, I do know, I know that you play an active role in advocacy for blind and visually impaired individuals as well by participating in legislative uh, things with ACB. Um, but what advice would you give to someone who is actively looking for employment, whether it would be with the government or uh, or another job? Um, another excellent question, and I really appreciate that because uh, being employed and employment is one of the biggest issues for those of us who are blind. Uh, we know that, you know, almost every blind person have the ability uh, to get as highest education as one can get. But sometimes the skills, uh, the tools we have does not always translate into um, employment, uh, having employment right away. 
Um, patient is one thing you have to have uh, for this kind of uh, uh, situation uh, because if it takes six months for sighted person to get a job, it might take almost two years for a blind person to get a job. So don't get frustrated simply because you have not been hired yet, whereas your sighted peers and others got the same job or similar job quickly. But before even I get to that point, the first thing you have to do, you have to look at your own um, life in a way that would set you out for uh, the adventure and whatever success you intend to have in your life. The first thing is that what you want to do. So you have to have the education, the skills. You have to prepare for that. Not everyone wants to be lawyer. Not everyone wants to be engineer and so forth. Whatever makes you happy with your uh, professional goals, that's the focus you have to have. Um, so you prepare for that. When, because when you go in for any job, you have to ensure that you know your subject matter, that you know that you could speak about the subject matter uh, without even thinking about it. And, and second, that you know that you could start and work on it uh, uh, from the moment you got the notice that you have to start now. And, and the third, that you have to have a confidence and I don't mean confidence that, you know, you just go in and, you know, uh, uh, in a pompous manner. No, you have to have a confidence about uh, your um, goal and your skills. So, for instance, if you want to be, let's say, um, an office manager where your job is to just uh, read the financial sheets, and that's exactly what you want to do in your life. You may not get that job in the beginning. You mean you know you might have to work um, in an office where you're not actually dealing with the financial sheets. They may not give you that. They might actually give you something uh, different. But you have to have a patient, you know. So have a skills and um, have uh, the patient. Have the focus in a positive way where you know that the future uh, is there for you. But it takes time, you know, and the only thing you have to worry about in your life is that not willing to do something, you know, simply um, sitting there and wondering about things. It's not going to do anything. And and believe me, once people see you that despite your blindness, that you are able to perform and you have the knowledge, skills and the ability and desire to succeed. Most people will come and help you. Most people will uh, um, walk with you. Uh, they'll encourage you. And But at the end of the day, you are your own advocate. You have to, however you advocate, just make sure that you keep modulated your advocacy, your goal in life. You know, you don't want to step on anyone else's toe, but at the same time, you want to make sure that no one else steps on your toe either. And that's the mm. focus you want to keep. That's a good way of putting it, Harry. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Hey, Harry, be be before you go, and Michael, yes. if there's not space, that's fine. I'll let you make that call. Harry, can you describe in like 10 seconds what you do What you do in your current job? Yes. I'm an um, immigration service agent at the Homeland Security. So I deal with immigration, uh, for instance, green cards, uh, citizenship, uh, and those sort of uh, issues 
which involves uh, dealing with immigration laws, but also dealing with uh, uh, people from uh, diverse background, um, and uh, uh, it's a part of the homeland security. And who, who who are the folks you work with? Who are your customers? Um, most uh, they are immigrants, uh, you know, from around the world, um, and uh, their attorneys, uh, the lawyers, uh, sometimes and sometimes nonprofit organizations that represent them. Thank you. That's great. Thanks for that. Thank you. Appreciate that. Harry, thank you so much for sharing with us today on our Let's Get to Work podcast. Thank you for sharing your career with us and sharing the hopes for the future for all of us. Thank you. A pleasure being here. been listening to let's get to work a podcast from the employment committee of the american council of the blind have questions episode ideas or feedback feel free to email brooke jostet the committee chair at b-r-o-o-k-e underscore j-o-s-t-a-d at comcast.net until next time work it